hello, Northland, and hello, moms. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, what a bizarre Mother's Day this is in the midst of the quarantine, but that doesn't change our appreciation of you moms and the opportunity that we all have to celebrate the mothers that are in our lives, either by blood relationship or by friendship. And I also realize that Mother's Day is not the happiest day for some. For any number of reasons, it can be a, a low point. So what I want to do before we move into our teaching is simply pray for all of us. Let's talk to our perfect parent, our Heavenly Father, and ask Him to be our shepherd today. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you for every person within the sound of my voice. And thank you for the mothers that are within the sound of my voice, for uh, the the devotion, for the heartache, for the energy, for the laughter, for the expertise, for the compassion, for the love they have poured into being a mom. And we all realize we're, we're not perfect, and so there are regrets that mothers might have. And uh, would you would you heal those? Would you give context to those? Would you assure that you're bigger than any mistakes that we could make as earthly parents? I pray for those who are uh, wounded, maybe by their children, that you would heal there. For those I, I, who maybe are commemorating a Mother's Day for the first time without their mother being on this planet, having had a mother's passed away this past year, would you accentuate the memories? I pray for those for whom Mother's Day is a point of pain because of woundedness they received from their mom. Would you heal? For those who would like to be mothers, and they're not for any number of reasons, would you be enough? And all of us, we ask that you would shepherd us as we navigate not just through this quarantine, but through our lives and teach us in the midst of this pandemic what will stick with us for the rest of our lives and use today's teaching in this psalm to expand our understanding of who you are as our shepherd. I pray this in the name of of the Good Shepherd. Amen. Amen. Philip Ponese is a guy who loves watches. He started collecting them when he was a teenager. Uh, old watches, watches with a story, um, wrist watches, pocket watches, and he started getting, accumulating so many and the expense of them cumulative was enough that he thought, I don't want to just store them in my closet. So he rented a safe deposit box in 1983. And as the New York Times reported this past summer, everything went fine for about 34 years. He accumulated watch after watch after watch. He actually became an international expert in rare wristwatches. And then in 2017, he went to the safe deposit box at his bank, opened it up, and to his shock, it was empty. And he said, I almost had a heart attack just looking at that. I couldn't believe it. And... This does not have a happy ending, just so you know. Sure enough, his watches were gone. He finally pieced together what took place. Now, there are about 25 million safe deposit boxes in banks around the, the country. There's no regulation or insurance uh, for them. A couple of hundred every year, something might go wrong. This went really wrong. In fact, it was the greatest loss due to a safe deposit box, safety deposit box error in the history of this country. What happened is the bank made a mistake. There was somebody that was delinquent in his bank for their safety deposit box, but instead of emptying uh, that box, they emptied his. And so he came back 
opened his box up and it was gone. He estimated the value of all the watches in there was about $10 million. He had a key. You know, it wasn't this big of a key. You know how safety deposit boxes work. You have a key, the bank has a key. He thought that covers it. That will make this secure. Wrong. Even some things that we think are so secure, we love to have control. Ultimately, it's not secure. A few weeks ago, we talked about with this pandemic that it's exposing our illusion of control. We don't necessarily have nearly as much control as we want, but yet we yearn for security. But you know what? Security is something, the true security, not worldly security, uh, the security that comes from our own efforts, but it's not going to be enough. It's God's security that does it. Arlene and I were talking about a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, years ago. He said, there's no way to peace along the way of safety. For peace must be dared. It is itself the great venture and can never be safe. Peace is the opposite of security. Now, I'll clarify, he's talking about worldly security, not the security of God. To demand guarantees is to want to protect oneself. Peace means giving oneself completely to God's commandment. It's God's commandment that enables me. It's God's enoughness that enables me to ultimately be secured. You see that statement. Peace is the opposite of security. What am I relying on to be secure right now in the pandemic? What keys am I holding on to? Sooner or later, they're going to prove themselves, more likely than not, in a fallen world, to not be enough. Which brings to mind Psalm 23. That's a psalm about true security. Let's take a look at it. During this series, we're going through, we're calling it Replenish, uh, sanity for our souls. And it comes from the security that we can only get from Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everything in this psalm expounds on that statement. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So he not only shepherds me and restores me, he leads me, he guides me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. And your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's go back to verse 4. We're going to camp on this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there is a key to security in this that's not of our own doing. We're going to spend some time today talking about this version of security and this version of security. This is the one that's not reliable. Him as my shepherd is. Now, it doesn't mean we don't take steps to try to gain some worldly security, but that's not our only, our only hope. Arlene and I have some dear friends named Jim and Bonnie, and they've had an incredible year. And I shared with some of you last summer about how she had a stroke water skiing. We were just with them last weekend for some social distanced uh, togetherness. 
and she is recovering from the stroke and her right side is, is, is struggling to, to gain feeling and balance. And so she'll walk and go through exercises and therapy. And Jim, our therapist, when they're walking with her and she's doing the exercises, she has a, a gait belt, a G-A-I-T belt that she wears. And that's, she has to trust that whoever's with her is going to be holding her secure. And there's a, that's a, a beautiful image, just watching her trust and, and, and work. We don't become passive. We keep going, but we're relying on him for our security. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, let's take a look at that. The shadow of death. It's actually one Hebrew word, shadow of death, but two roots. And the two roots really mean shadow, death, shadowiest of all shadows. is emphasizing the darkness. Uh, Job refers to it as the darkness of a mining shaft. Amos talks about it's the darkness, uses the same Hebrew word, of before creation. We have these moments of darkness in our journeys, and the pandemic has brought that out. The quarantine, it's exposing darkness in our lives where we don't have enough perspective. We, we're, we're groping our way through. And David says, in the midst of the shadowiest of all shadows, I can find security, but it's not going to be this kind. Now, what's the shadowiest of all shadows? Where does it come from? It's simply referring to the fall. It's referring to what Romans 8 talks about. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there's something that the good creation needs to be delivered from. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Are you kidding me? The pandemic is the present time. We're experiencing the groanings of a fallen world. That's where disease and, and imperfection and brokenness comes from. Earlier in Romans, it says this is how it happened. For by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. That's not just heart beating, lung breathing death. That's the death of being separated from God. Through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? It's not just heart beating, lung breathing. It's the life of the gospel through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the shadowiest of shadows, that death that reigns, this valley of the shadow of death, that's not just at a funeral. That's every day of our lives we're having to navigate through because of what creation is doing. It's waiting to be redeemed. It's waiting to be rescued. Paul Hillier, who's a conductor and an amazing baritone, he actually wrote this. How we live depends on our relationship with death. Now, he's speaking of physical life and physical death, but we could also apply that to our spiritual life of the gospel and spiritual death. He also says how we make music depends on our relationship with silence. Meaning... For me to make music, for me to actually live, I can't avoid the, the silence and I can't avoid the issue of death. I've got to learn to make music in the midst of the silence and turn that silence around. Uh, we could also add to that uh, how we flourish, how we thrive depends on our relationship with hardship, with adversity. If we spend our lives trying to avoid it, we're not going to flourish. What this psalm is about, what David is saying in verse 4 of Psalm 23 is, I, I need to go into the, the valley of the shadowest of shadows. And I can't avoid it, so I've got to engage with a greater reality. And that greater reality is that I can walk through it. 
Valley is a wadi. It's, it's been carved out over the years, and you can get caught in a wadi. There's no escaping if a flash flood comes. And he's saying, I'm walking through it, and I'm becoming quite afraid, but I'm going to go through. Their seven letter, it's a seven-letter word that can change my whole engagement with the pandemic. What we wish is that Jesus would lead us around the valley of the shadowiest of shadows. No, he leads us through it. And this psalm talks about how. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who've set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through, not around, the valley of Baca, which is the valley of tears. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. That's our calling as God's people. We, we're not exempted from difficulty. We're, we don't have a bubble around us that says, okay, nothing bad will happen. What we do have is a resource that can only come to us in the gospel through the person of Jesus Christ. And he says in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have shalom, have peace. But in this world, you'll have trouble. Guaranteed. Pandemic is part of it. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So there's something about verse 4 of Psalm 23 that's saying we can find security not through this, but through this, because he gets us through it. He gets us through the valley. He helps us navigate it. He makes us secure. He provides that gate belt where we're going through it, and we can say he's got us. What's that look like? Three phrases. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shout of death, number one, I'll fear no evil. Two, for you're with me. Three, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those are three realities that enable us to not just survive, but to begin to thrive through the valley of the shadow. So let's look at them one at a time. First, word is courage. Courage comes from fearing no evil. Fearing no evil comes through the fact that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow, but I have something on my side. A lot of times, many of us say, you know what, I don't want to exhibit courage. I just want to be exempted from difficult things. It's not going to happen. Well, then we joke about courage. We joke about our fears. There's the phobias. I went to a website, has 500 phobias listed, things that we're afraid of. How about a few of these? Peanut butter sticking to the roof of my mouth. I'm going to try to say it. Arachibutyrophobia. How about that? I think a fear of chickens. Electrophobia. Parents-in-law. Fear of parents-in-law. Saucerophobia. Getting wrinkles. Ritophobia. Friday the 13th. Not even going to try that one. Being alone. Isolophobia. Fear of phobias is phobophobia. Uh, and we can laugh. It can be a point, you know, spiders, snakes, whatever. Those are things that are irritants, maybe. The type of fear that David is referring to is fear that debilitates us, that absolutely robs us of life because it robs us of faith. So here's the deal. A lot of times we say, yeah, I have faith in God, uh, but I, I'm afraid. I, I, you know what? Courage and faith They go hand in hand. If I don't have courage, I don't have faith. If I don't have faith, I won't have courage. Because courage needs fear 
to exist. Faith needs courage to become a reality. And the life of the gospel needs faith. And it all starts with that death, that shadowiest of shadows, the fall, that creates situations of fear. So there's this great contrast between death and life in my journey, in which I'm facing death. I'm going through the spiritual death, that separation from God. And I'm learning to, instead of just trying to avoid it, I'm learning to deal with it, the, the fear that comes out of that with courage because of my confidence in God. And that confidence in God looks like faith, which leads me to the life of the gospel. G.K. Chesterton, he said years ago, he said, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. A person must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. What's he saying? You can't ignore this if you're wanting to experience this. I've got to lean in to this valley of the shadow of shadows and all the fears it produces, face those fears with courage that comes from faith that enables me to experience the life of the gospel. How often do we talk about this? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, John 20, 31, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not life, just heart beating, lung breathing, but the, the life of the gospel. The life of the gospel, will, it's not a, a matter of it possibly requiring my courage. It's impossible for me to experience life in his name without courage. You guys know the life and death realities. We talk about them here. Our vision, engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. This is the privilege that we have. This is what happens in the valley of the shadowest of shadows. And what happens is if I face this, 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 these consequences of death with the courage of God's enoughness, exhibiting faith, believing that he's got me, that he's got that gate belt and he will enable me to walk, I can experience the life of the gospel, which is why over and over and over, the Bible, you see, you see the exhortations, don't be afraid. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, he's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's a reality. Yeah, I'm in the valley of the shadowiest of shadows, but there's a reality that I'm believing, I'm latching onto that's greater. Back during the final days of World War II, Britain's Royal Air Force was bombing Germany, trying to subdue uh, the Nazi regime and get them to surrender. And they were on a particular bombing run to Berlin, this particular bomber squadron. They unloaded their bombs and were headed back to Britain, and they were being escorted by fighter pilots and fighter planes, and they got attacked by a fighter squadron, a German fighter squadron, and got into dogfights. In the midst of the chaos, one particular bomber got separated from the pack, and they didn't have an escort. And they were singled out by a Nazi fighter pilot, and he came at them and started firing his machine gun, and they thought, we're done, it's over. And they started hearing the thud, thud, thud as the bullets pierced uh, the metal uh, fuselage of their plane, hit the, the, the fuel tank, gas started, fuel started spilling out. They kept waiting for the explosion. It never happened. They landed, 
and the crew went inside and the mechanic started working on the plane and a few hours later the mechanic came in to the captain and said, I thought you'd be interested in this. He held out his hand and he had five bullets, these, these large bullets that had been fired upon and he said, I found these in the gas, in the fuel tank. Take a closer look at them. And the, 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 the pilot, the captain did, he started unscrewing them, taking apart. They were empty, they had no gunpowder. They had no explosive powder in them. And in fact, one of the, the bullets, one of the cartridges, had a small note rolled up inside. This is what the, the note said. We're Polish POWs, forced to make bullet fac bullets in factory. When guards do not look, we do not fill with powder. It is not much, but it's the best we can do. Please tell family we are alive. And then five... Polish POWs had signed it. So they were getting hit, but it didn't do the damage that it could have. That's some of what it's looking like for us. It, underneath our shepherd, we still go through the valley of the shadowest of shadows, but we can go through with courage because we know that ultimately he's got this. And so we can have courage because we, and we need not fear evil. Doesn't mean evil doesn't exist. We just don't need to fear it. He's bigger. He's greater. He's taken the, the, the explosives out for his kids. But there's also companionship that enables me to be secure as I'm walking through the valley. The companionship, he says, for, for you're with me. I'm not alone. You're not alone. Even if you're isolated right now in quarantine, you are not alone. Though an army besiege me, David says, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident because one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. So there's the context. An army's besieging him, but in the midst of that, he experiences intimacy with God. Uh, this is what I ask. This only do I seek. Then I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. There's one thing I want to make sure that happens in my life as a result of the pandemic. And that is, I come out of this more intimate with Jesus than when I went in. Which is what the valley of the shadowest of shadows can do if instead of just going after painkillers and distractions, we engage with the one who really is with us. He is present with us. C.S. Lewis says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. He's omnipresent. He's always here. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. You know, we're tempted to get more sleepy in the quarantine. Instead, it's just saying, become more awake to the reality that God is here right now, wherever you are, he's here. He says, I've got this. I'm the redeemer, I'm the restorer of all creation. Timetable is my own, but the pandemic will not interfere with my ultimate purposes so you can have courage. And that pan the pandemic will not separate you from me because I'm with you. Though we feel a lot of times like the psalmist, I love the honesty, he says, look and see Psalm 142 verse four, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. There are those moments that we think 
that. Maybe, maybe it's of a coworker or a friend or even a spouse or a counselor or a doctor who's not returning our calls and we think we're alone. And he says, no, you're not. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. A few weeks ago, we talked about him being the, the uh, overseer of our, our souls, the episcopon, the scopos. He scopes us out. He sees He sees what I'm dealing with. He's here. Dallas Willard lost his mother when he was a little little boy. And uh, a friend of his told him about an experience he had with his own son after losing his wife and the little boy's mother. Uh, He was uh, preschool, wanted to sleep with his daddy. uh, in In those early days, and so he would be there, be pitch black. And the little boy would ask his daddy, can you see me? Can you see me? And all he would need to hear from his dad is in the darkness. He said, yes, son, I can see you. And that's what would enable him to go to sleep. We just need to know we're seen. We're known. But now this is what the Lord says, Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, don't fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name in your mind. When you pass through the waters, I'll look at you from a distance and feel sorry for you. No, he says, I'm right here. I I see you. And not only am I with you, I care about you. So that the security, not not the, the, the worldly security, but that deep security of God that comes, it comes through courage that he gives me. Because I need not fear evil, because evil has been defanged. It can pierce me, but it won't explode inside of me, so to speak. Companionship. He's with me. But also compassion. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Several years ago, NPR did a series called This I Believe. John Fountain is a professor of journalism at the University of Illinois, and he wrote this essay. He said, I believe in God. Not that cosmic, intangible spirit in the sky that mama told me as a little boy always was and always will be, but the God who embraced me when daddy disappeared from our lives, from my life at age four. The night police led him down the stairs away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment. When the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter. And there was no food, little hope, and no hot water. I believe in the God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood swallowed by the elements, by death and by hopelessness, who claimed me when I felt like no man's son amid the absence of any man to wrap his arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay. To speak proudly of me, to call me son. I believe in God. God the Father embodied in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the God who allowed me to feel his presence, whether by the warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon, or that voice whenever I found myself in the tempest of life storms, telling me, even when I was told I was nothing, that I was something, that I was his, and that even amid the desertion of the man who gave me his name and DNA and little else, 
I might find in God sustenance. I believe in God, the God who I've come to know as Father, as Abba, as Daddy. He's here, and He cares. The Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And He cares for those who trust in Him. That's why Augustine prayed, O Lord my God, light of the blind and strength of the weak, yea, also light of those that see and strength of the strong, would you hearken unto my soul and hear it crying out of the depths. So here's my exhortation to you. Cast your anxiety on him. He cares. He's not just enough and I can have courage. He's not just with me and I can know his companionship. But he cares. He has compassion on my situation right now and yours. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod is his protection. Protection from uh, Jesus prayed in, in John 17. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. So we go through the valley, but he says, there's no gunpowder in those shells. I've got this. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world, 1 John 4, 4. But he also has a rod. We talked about it a while back. I won't go into detail, but a shepherd would have a rod and the staff. The rod was for protecting, beating, beating up the bears and the lions that would attack. The staff is for provision, for protection, it's uh, for, for correction, for really restoration. This, the, the, my staff, his staff comes along. When I'm going the wrong way, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the, the valley of the shadowest of shadows exposes those areas where I need refining those areas where I need his, his correction. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline, he says in Revelation 3. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. He says, I want to come in. I want to shape you. I want to refine you. I want to wean you off of some of those things that you've placed too much trust in. And I want to come along and I want to protect you. And so I give you this. As you and I head into another week. That word through. Psalm 35 says weeping may stay for the night. But rejoicing is going to come in the morning. We're going to get through this. And we can know that as we're walking through this valley, our shepherd sees us. I remember one time hiking with my middle son, Joel, when he was a little guy. One of his first hikes out, we were camping. It was night, and it was just him and me. He wasn't in school yet. And it got really dark, and I turned off the flashlight. And he didn't have one, and he didn't like that. And he turned around and said, Daddy, uh, and he couldn't really see. He says, Daddy, I can't see you. And I asked him a question. I said, Joel, is it more important that you can see me or that I can see you? And he said, Daddy, it's more important that you can see me. But I'd still like to be able to see you. 
I don't know how foggy it is right now and how much of a vision you have of him, and maybe it seems like prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But according to the gospel of the resurrected Christ, I want to tell you guys, he sees you. He sees me. And we might have all sorts of security blankets dismantled during this time. But we have a shepherd. And as a result, we can be secure with courage, with his companionship, and with his compassion, even though we're walking through the valley of the shadowiest of shadows. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we've all got those worldly sources of security, some of which are being dismantled during this pandemic. Would you be our shepherd? Teach us what it means to walk with you, to exhibit faith, and as a result, display courage, and as a result, experience your life. I pray for the folks who've lost jobs and experienced strained relationships and have succumbed to all sorts of pain-killing practices, and for those that have cowered in, in fear, it's okay, you love us. And you're going to get us through this. It might be the valley of the shadowest of shadows. But the morning will come. And we're, we're trusting you until then. In the name of the Good Shepherd, I pray. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.